Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 142 of the Canucks Speak Easy podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, we're going to forego the game flight since it's been a little while. We've been uh, we've been a bit AWOL with Canucks stuff, but we are going to start with our final three stars of the month for April to round out our Canucks Speakeasy Barfly Golden Pint Award. Yeah, I mean, giving the people what they want right away, you know, not making them suffer through an entire episode to tell them who the Golden Barfly Pint Award is going to. Uh, I love it. Yeah, start. It's uh, it's it's what everybody wants. It's it's the award with uh, so much suspense, uh, given the way the season is gone. So, Doug, let's get into that. Oh, I think he'll be back for an encore yet tonight. Fans haven't left. They're still here. And still the three star selections. To come. All right. So my third star for the month of April, and I know. It's kind of cheeky. There was only seven games played in April, but I think this player in particular kind of, you know, you could say he came out of nowhere. Um, And I think he really impressed. It was a very short window that we got to see him play, but uh, it's Akito Hirose, who had three assists in seven games, uh, made his NHL debut, averaged about 17 and a half minutes of ice time in those seven games. And yeah, he... Did very well. I think he fit in and kind of was a bit of a surprise for a lot of Canucks fans. Already people are penciling penciling him in ahead of OEL or Jack Rathbone, but uh, I'm not ready to do that yet, but I definitely think it worth mentioning. And for me, he's my third star for the month of April. My second star for the month of April is Elias Pedersen. I mean, Pedersen was great. Again, it was a short seven-game Span, but he had three goals, three assists for a total of six points. Also eclipsed the 100-point mark, so congratulations to Elias Pettersson. And my first star, a guy who was much maligned throughout the beginning of the year, but I think as the season went on, uh, he impressed not only the new coaching staff, but I think he impressed a lot of the naysayers, Canuck fans-wise anyways. I'm sure there's still a ton of people that want to ship him out come the offseason, but it's JT Miller. He had three goals, four assists for a total of seven points. Miller really, really stepped it up the second half, especially once Rick Tockett got hired, and he is my first star for the month of April. A little bit, of, a little bit of fun in there with, with Hirose. Um, for me, my third star also having a little bit of fun. I'm giving it to Connor Garland for the month of April. I thought he had a, a really solid month. Uh, really, kind of brought a lot of that energy back in to his game. Tied for the team lead in goals for the month with three of them. He was tied for third in scoring as well. Uh, just kind of liked what I saw out of Connor Garland. He he brought a little bit more to his game. So he gets my third star of the month. Number two, JT Miller. He led the team in scoring for the month, seven points in seven games. I'm always a sucker for that. So it's good enough to get him in for the second star. And again, I thought he's played pretty well and he really does seem like a Rick Tockett 
kind of guy moving forward. Really excited to see what we get for JT Miller going into next year. And I don't think it's going to be the same start that he had this past season. First star of the month, uh, I'm giving it to Thatcher Demko. Uh, Demko, sparkling stats for the four games that he played. A 173 goals against average, a 948 save percentage, a shutout. The first one in forever for the Canucks and a 3-1 and record. So Thatcher Demko gets it for me. Uh, I omitted Elias Pettersson because we both knew going into this that he had already clinched the award for us by quite a bit. So I kind of chucked Connor Garland in just to give him uh, not a pity point, but just to get him on the score sheet. So yes, we we, we kind of knew for a little while here that Elias Pettersson, once, once Bo Horvat was traded, he was the only one that was kind of close to him for a bit there. Elias Pettersson is this year's 2022-23 recipient of the Canucks Speakeasy Barfly Golden Pint Award. Congratulations, Elias. The inaugural winner as well. So, yeah, big congratulations. Yes, the, yes, the inaugural winner. We, we, we kind of started doing this towards the end of last year. This is our first uh, season where we did it from October through to April. Uh, Doug, do you want to hear just the final stats, uh, standings for the award? Just just to put it all on the record so Canucks fans know where their players stood over the year. Yeah, let's hear it. All right, so Patterson wins it. He gets 28 points uh, all together. Uh, second place, Bo Horvat. Even though he was traded, Bo Horvat still came in second with 16 points. Third place, JT Miller with 13 points. Quinn Hughes came in fourth with 10. Andre Kuzmenko was fifth with eight. Thatcher Demko, after not getting any points in uh, our standings until the last month, came in next. He had four points. Then Anthony Bovillier picked up two. And then Mikheyev, Garland, and Hirose each had one. I had uh, Garland as a strong consideration for my third as well. But I just thought Ikito Hirose, you know, you see these college free agents get signed. You don't really think much of them, generally speaking, uh, you know, obviously you hope some of them hit like a Kevin Bieksa or a Chris Tanev. But um, yeah, I, I thought he played very well. Uh, he had high praise from his teammates and his coach and putting up a handful of assists in that amount of time. That's why he just edged out Connor Garland for me. I, I like uh, at least uh, we, we both kind of mixed a few things up. First of all, Kevin Bieksa was drafted. Uh, he, he wasn't a college free agent. I thought for a long time he was too because he played in the NCAA, but uh, he, he was actually drafted. Um, but I, I like that uh, Hiroshi gets in there. I know McCabe got on there earlier in the year as well, and uh, uh, I, I like that uh, we get Garland in there at the mention. Like I said, Pat. Peterson, Petter, I can't talk today, man. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Petey, he, uh, he, he could have easily gotten another one for me, but there's no point. So I wanted to chuck one at Car- Connor Garland for just for the hell of it. Yeah, I mean, Petey had the award wrapped up probably back in February, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> I mean, look, he still had an incredible year. First Canuck, uh, I think, since the Sedin twins to uh, topple 100 points. So. Definitely mm-hmm. deserves the award, and yeah, man, I mean, hopefully he can uh, build on that 100-point season heading into next year. JT Miller came close last year, uh, 99, so again, re- very, very close, which is still uh, the highest amount of points by a Canuck North American player, uh, JT Miller. I'm curious to see, like I said, what, what he does going into next season, uh, how he looks, if he can get back up towards point a game. Um, also looking at our first place votes for uh, for the season, 
Pedersen picked up seven of them. Hughes was actually second with three of them. Uh, Miller was then next with two. And then Horvat and uh, my Demko won just there uh, with one. So you kind of look at that. The guys who got the first place votes for the Canucks, uh, that's kind of what you wanted to see there. Uh, so uh, anyways, I just wanted to give that a mention. Demko with a kind of a strong finish and Hughes really picking it up towards the end there. Because for a while, I think the first few months we were really doing this, it was like Pedersen Horvat show for uh, for a while there. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, I mean, they were playing out of their minds. Hughes was playing really well as well for most of the year. Um, but early in the year, I mean, it looked like Horvat was on pace for 40 plus goals, almost 50 goals to be fair at one point during the year. Obviously it slowed down a bit for him, especially since the trade, but uh, yeah, it just goes to show you how strong of a first half of the season Horvat had for the Canucks. Unfortunately, it wasn't resulting in wins. And that seems to be the case currently for the New York Islanders in the playoffs as well. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to we're going to talk. We're going to give a little bit of time in this episode a bit later to talk about the NHL playoffs. Um, we got a lot of stuff to, to go through. Uh, but first, Doug, it's uh, our first episode in a few weeks. Uh, it's nice to be back. Uh, that was all my fault. I, I had to go away on a holiday, which was awesome. I had to go away on a holiday, make it sound like such a chore. Um, but it was awesome. That was why we hadn't been recording is uh, I, I travel pretty light and just doing carry on. I don't want to be lugging around laptop and a microphone and all that so we took a few weeks off to kind of commiserate the Canucks ending and now we're back and we're going to be doing some episodes over the next little while kind of sporadically as things happen you know there's draft lottery there's eventually a draft there's going to be other things happening here and there there's going to be free agency we'll be putting out a few episodes here and there just uh just until we hit that summer lag I think yeah, I mean, you know, it might be every couple of weeks we drop an episode. I believe next week is when the draft lottery is supposed to happen. Um, yes. So we'll definitely be dropping an episode uh, short and thereafter of the draft lottery uh, results. Hopefully the Canucks jump up 10 spots. Highly unlikely, but hey, you never know. Uh, the Canucks definitely deserve some luck. Uh, in the lottery, but I don't know if this is going to be their year. But yeah, man, there will still be lots for us to talk about. Obviously, once the playoffs are all decided and the Stanley Cup has been awarded, we'll probably have an episode to kind of talk about that in the playoffs as a whole. Um, but watching these playoffs, man, it just it just makes me hunger more and more for the Canucks to actually be back playing playoff hockey. Oh, man, I, I hear you. Uh, May 8th is the draft lottery. My first game I got to watch when I came back was a Winnipeg-Vegas game, and just seeing that whiteout, I'm just like, oh, man. I remember when we had that and we could go to those games. But, yeah, I'm, 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 I am I'm, know all Canucks fans are starved for some playoff hockey here in this city, and uh, maybe, maybe next year. I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I say that every year. But, hey, maybe maybe next year. Uh, before we get into all Canucks stuff, Doug, how's, how's things in your neck of the woods? How have you settled into Sawasin? Uh, yeah, I'm loving Sawasin, man. It's, it's really nice out here. Uh, again, I always say this, but it's kind of quiet, which is nice. Um, you know, I didn't have anything as exciting as you did, uh, traveling through Europe, like you did Pete, but I, I did watch a documentary that you did recommend the grizzly truth. I finally got to watch that. I thought it was amazing. Um, mm -hmm. that's also another reason why I think the documentary, it's the same filmmaker. Uh, she also did, uh, searching for big country. So that's why I think the documentary about the 2011 riots, I, th I think it'll actually be done well 
I have faith. Uh, but yeah, it was a great documentary. I mean, I love the interview uh, she did with Steve Francis. And yeah, man, uh, other than that, I just kind of been keeping my head down working. Uh, what about you, Pete? Where did you go? How many countries did you see? I also heard a rumor. I also heard a rumor that there was a person who you and I both used to work with, who you may or may not do walking tours with, that was in England when you were. Is that true? Uh... I don't know who you're who you're referring to. Their name uh, rhymes with rally. No, no, okay. definitely not. Maybe it was an, <laughs> maybe it was an old photo that someone said they saw of the two of you in in England. So that's why I was, I was like, oh, really? Uh, uh, okay. Rally and I have uh, been in England once together, uh, but that was uh, quite a few years ago. That was before the the plague wiped through the rest of the world. Uh, no, this time it was uh, Six City Hop. It was, oh, we got a Carolina goal right there. Uh, Six City Hop, London, Cardiff, Bristol, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Prague. So three cities uh, being due before and know pretty well and three new cities. So a great trip. Saw lots of friends, uh, saw some family, um, and, and just got to do all the things I like. Uh, hit breweries, had some really good food, um, saw some great gigs, uh, got to run in some really cool spots and uh, some bike rides too. Uh, uh, just uh, everything I liked really. It was, um, it was, it was a really good trip, and, uh, but I'm glad I'm back because I spent too much money. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Itching to go back to Europe again, but I have to wait a little bit. Uh, Really, really good trip. Uh, First time in Prague, just an amazing city. Uh, First time in Bristol and Cardiff, just great cities as well. Uh, Got to to get right into the whole street art history of the UK as well, between Bristol and London, which was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, man, maybe I'll I'll chat a little bit more about that in the free pour um so folks if you aren't already following us on the twitter machine you can follow me i'm at pete underscore gas and the podcast is at canuck speak you can give me a follow on twitter at doug venn and be sure to check out the canuck speakeasy outro playlist on spotify uh we continue to build the playlist with the outro segments of every episode And another funky jam is going to be added to the playlist at the end of this episode. And Doug, since you edited the last one, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you got? Yeah, so it's a band uh, or a duo I kind of discovered pretty recently. Um, The first album, which is the album that uh, the song that I used came from, came out in 1999. Um, But it's a handsome boy modeling school and it's, uh, Dan the Automator and Prince Paul. It's a little project they put together. They put two of these albums out. I mean, Dell's all over the album. Uh, DJ Shadow's all over the album. There's just there's a lot of like kind of their friends and big names. There's a little skit where uh, Prince Paul's calling Biz Marquee, which is pretty funny, and he's telling him about the project and how he's going to be working with his boy Dan the Automator. Um, but yeah, it's a really really cool kind of like hip hop DJ album. Uh, the song I used is The Truth, uh, which also has Roisin Murphy guest singing vocals on the track. But yeah, man, if you haven't checked out the Handsome Boy Modeling School album, there's a couple of albums. Actually, they had the So How's Your Girl um, is the again, that's the album that I did. And I think the other one's White People Music is what the other album is called by them. 
But yeah, man, really, really, really awesome little White People is what the other album's called. That one came out in 2004. But a really cool project from Dan the Automator and Prince Paul. And Dan the Automator, also half of Deltron with, with Del the Funky Homo Sapien. And I actually saw Prince Paul on this trip when I was in the UK. Prince Paul was one of the many surprise guests that came out for the De La Soul show that I saw at the Royal Albert Hall. And Prince Paul came out and actually started it with, uh, with a really cool DJ set and then was on stage for quite a bit of the show. But yeah, Prince Paul, a legendary hip-hop producer, also, of course, produced a lot of De La Soul albums. Yeah, I mean, Three Feet High and Rising was Prince Paul. I, I think he did some of the tracks on Prince, or De La Soul is Dead as well. He, he did, um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so super cool album if you should check it out. And yeah, I definitely hope I can hear a little bit more about that uh, De La Soul uh, show you went to, Pete. I saw some photos you posted on Twitter and I was super jealous. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was something else, man. It was, it was one of those really cool music moments, but... Uh, I'll save that for another time for sure. Um, also, I just wanted to uh, read a, a little something from a friend of the show, uh, Jeff, who also is on Twitter. You may know him as a life, a life concussed. Like I said, I'm, I'm having trouble talking today, uh, you, which uh, you can follow him at a concussed. Uh, Jeff lives in Dallas, Texas, is a big Canucks fan, and also is a professional counselor, really good guy, uh, but he is co-starting up a mental health project, uh, which is basically an online support group via Zoom. And I just wanted to read this little plug. We're going to get Jeff on at some point here just to, to talk about it a little bit more. But it's this is what Jeff had to say. Is like he's actually he wanted to pop on today, but he's actually at the Dallas Minnesota game tonight. So so fair enough. I did see uh, I did see his photos on Twitter of him uh, all uh, dudded out at the game. So yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, which is pretty cool. So he sent this uh, to read instead. He says the Get a Grip Mental Health Initiative is a mental health support group for by Canucks fans for Canucks fans, led under the guidance of two professional counselors with over twenty five years of experience addressing mental health. Get a Grip provides a safe and discreet space to talk about real-life problems and stressors and tap into community-based resources for those in need. Some of our upcoming buzz is that of having a summer speaker series of guest spots of professional athletes, mindful practitioners, and other unique individuals with a powerful message. This is a great place to talk hockey, build community, and help end the stigma around mental health. Please reach out to at a concussed to get involved. So... Uh, I think it's a cool idea, and we're going to be uh, getting some more info on that down the line. But uh, Jeff asked if we could read that out, and of course, we're happy to help with a pretty unique project like that geared towards Canucks fans. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. It's a, I think it's an important initiative, but I also think it's a very uh, unique initiative. And I, 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 yeah, I think it's it's really cool. And you know what, mental health is more and more important by the day, by the year, by the month, by the week, and people recognizing some of their struggles mental health-wise is important to be able to talk about it in a safe place where you're not afraid to be judged or even in a place where you maybe you don't have the money to go and talk to someone professionally. I just really love the initiative. Uh, Jeff's a really good dude. We met him when he came up to Vancouver. Um, and yeah, man, uh, I love the initiative. All right, Doug. So let's start with uh, the Canucks on the ice uh, to to start this this a whole episode off. Well, not started off. We're like twenty minutes in now, but 
just kind of uh, how the season ended. So it's the Canucks went on a heater, winning 10 out of 12, and then they went 0-2-2 and towards the end of March, early April. And we're like, okay, maybe maybe the tank is back. You know, they lost to L.A. 4-1 and Seattle 5-2 after a couple of overtime losses. And then you look at the Canucks' schedule to end up the season at the last five games, only one of them uh, against a playoff team, which they lost. That was the L.A. Kings. They win the other four. So they win four out of five. They finish 11th worst in the NHL, which is is pretty much, in my opinion, the most Canucks thing to have happen because, you know, it keeps you still that slim hope of, of Connor Bedard, but the absolute slimmest of hopes with only a 3% chance at getting him uh falling outside of the the 10 worst teams for really the the first time all year is a very Canucks thing to to happen um what are your kind of biggest takeaways towards that final stretch of the season look I I understand a lot of fans are frustrated annoyed about the team winning meaningless games and affecting their draft lottery position I get it um you know the difference between a 3% chance and a 6% chance, sure, that's a 100% increase to your chances of getting Connor Bedard, but the chances of you getting Connor Bedard are still 6%. It's just, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Now, the argument is some of the other players that are of pretty high quality in that maybe 8 to 7 range that you've now dropped out of. I know like Ryan, David Reinbacher, right shot defenseman from... Uh, Austria, I believe. Uh, he's a highly touted player who's kind of jumping up a lot of draft boards. I think initially most Canuck fans thought he would be there in the 10 to 15 range, but now it's looking like he could shoot up draft boards and go pick seven, six, eight. So I think that's where people are frustrated with. But I also understand what Rick Tockett has been preaching since he was hired. And it's, you know, hey, man. These games aren't meaningless, you know, and no team tries to tank. Like the players or the coaching staff on the team, they're not trying to lose games purposely. It's just not the way it is. You know what I mean? If the if if the coach is purposely tanking or losing games, he's probably going to end up being fired at the end of the year. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. The players have too much personal pride to, to totally just quit on the season and stop trying in these games. So it was never going to happen the way it, it did. And the schedule also played into the fact that the Canucks had a very weak schedule. I think the last five games of the season, like you said, Pete, only one of them was against a playoff team, and that's the LA Kings. So the schedule didn't really do this team any favors in of you know them being up against it. But yeah, man, I mean, it is what it is. We're still going to get a really good player at 11, and I'm going to take the positives that we saw at the end of this year and hopefully they will carry on to next year. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a, I think a very fair way of looking at it. Uh, I mean, going into the season, I've said this before. I never thought the Canucks were going to be in the Bedard conversation. Uh, the Canucks were better than what they were playing earlier in the year. They had some tough stretches of games, which mean if you get some tough stretches of games, you theoretically should have some easier game stretches of games. And that's kind of exactly what happened to the Canucks. I, I also don't believe that any game is is meaningless and you can't teach tanking. Like you just, you, you can't. It, it, professional athletes aren't wired that way. Um, it, it's, you know, 3% chance, 6% chance. Even if you get all the way up to fourth worst in the league you still only have a nine and a half percent chance right like that's san jose's uh the san jose sharks actually have a nine and a half percent chance of picking first overall and that's a team that a lot of people are like 
you know, do like what the Sharks do or do what Arizona does. Arizona has a 7.5% shot. Like, And, I mean, the way it works, like, the draft lottery is kind of weird, right? Like, I'm looking at all the odds here. Like, San Jose has a 19% chance of picking in the top two, and they were a bad team, right? Vancouver has a 6.2% chance of, of picking in the top two. They're most likely going to pick 11th, but you never know. Um it's you know it is what it is right i mean i i, I can never cheer for the canucks to intentionally lose anyways i'm i'm not wired that way i just can't do it it, it would have been nice if they played hard but you know dropped a few more points here and there and maybe you know snuck up ahead of detroit and washington a little bit more but you know it, it is what it is i i do think from what we saw on the ice though i think there has been some real improvements along the way i mean they're playing more structured hockey there's more systems in place uh, you're starting to see what thatcher demko l- looked like last year towards the end of this season so that's much more promising you're starting to see the return to form of jt miller and you're also starting to hear some of these things come out about what was going on with uh with the team through press conferences and injuries and a lot more things are coming to light which make it make a little bit more sense as to why the team got off to such a bad start and why they just never found their form. I, I mean, for me, I'm looking, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get a good player. Like you said, uh, I'm looking forward to next season. And uh, I mean, we all know October next year is one of the most important months in, in Canucks recent history. It's going to be a huge month how the Canucks come out of the gate in October. Yeah. And I, I think Rick Tockett kind of put it in a lot of the leadership cores ear that, Hey, you know, I can't tell you or force you to come to training camp early or to come to Vancouver early and start training because I think the CBA, there's a certain date when the players have to report, but often a lot of teams will show up a week or two early. Just the players do it on their own accord, right? And they'll go skate at like a closed rink like UBC or six rinks or something like that. And Talkit was saying, yeah, I've told the players, hey, man, just because training camp is on this day in September, you guys, if you really want to be in the playoffs next year, you should be here late August, already getting ready for training camp and training. And talk it legally, according to the CBA, won't be able to be on the same ice as them. But I think just trying to get the guys and rally the guys to come early and to start working as a team to be as prepared for the start of next season. Because like you said, Pete, it is so important. I think the other thing that really hurt the Canucks this year. And there was a lot of issues, don't get me wrong. But it was that huge road trip to start the season, I think also didn't do this team any favors. And I don't think starting a team on the West Coast as well, right? So often, wherever you're traveling to that isn't on the West Coast, that is a negative time to what you're used to. So I, I you know, hopefully the NHL schedule makers are kind of kind to the Canucks heading into next year and they're not going to start I believe it was a five game road trip uh, to start the season last year which again you know you just kind of end up in a bit of a tailspin they had such a poor start to the season and they could never recover from that um so yeah I think the the bar has been set for what the coach and I think what Rutherford and Elvin are expecting of these players. Now it's up to them to kind of pick up that baton and run with it and be as prepared and ready for next year as we're hoping they will be. And I, I mean, again, I think they will. I really do. I really think these guys are going to be ready to play. PD's going to the Worlds, which I think is great. There's been a couple of other players that have been 
uh, throwing their hat in the rings about going to the world. So yeah, man, I, I'm really hoping that this team is ready right out the gate. As someone who loves to travel, one thing that I, when I first saw the schedule, I thought, geez, the Canucks, for their first six games, that's including the one game at home, uh, game number six against Buffalo, they would have played in all four time zones in the NHL over the first six games. And it's little things. And at different times, again, the schedule isn't an excuse. You should be ready to go every night, but it certainly compounded the problems a, a lot more. Um, yeah, you mentioned the worlds, Garland and Bear going as well, uh, which is which is pretty cool. Uh, really cool that Petey's going. Um, did you? How much of the uh, the press conferences and, and such did you see? Uh, there, there's a lot of news that came out as well around that time uh, from Canucks players, like uh, you know Ethan Bear uh, had some stuff to say, uh, OEL Brock Besser. Uh, but what do you think uh, uh, the the press conference? Did you catch much of that with the with the groups of four players? Uh, I mean, I caught snippets of sort of the the highest mentions or talking points that came out of the press conference. Uh, the other one, Tanner Pearson. I mean, I, I was actually kind of surprised that they trotted him out there. And, you know, he seemed pretty heartfelt about the struggles he's gone through with his hand injury. And, you know, he's just hoping, like he said, he's like, I just want my fucking hand back. Like, it's mm-hmm. it, it's kind of sad. And, you know, he, he didn't really get into too many details, probably for legal reasons why he couldn't. Uh, Ethan Bear's comments about... Um, Bruce Boudreaux, I thought, was a little bit telling. And again, like, you know, a lot of the players said they all loved Bruce. They loved Bruce, but there just was no accountability and no structure. And the players were kind of lost. They just didn't have any guidance. You know what I mean? And I think that really affected them. And they couldn't overcome that hurdle of not having a, a proper leader behind the bench. He was a great team guy and a great players coach but when they needed structure and they needed someone to kind of lead them out of the trenches so to speak because they dug themselves such a terrible hole Boudreaux you know he was trying to be everybody's friend instead of being a bit of a taskmaster and trying to you know hold guys accountable for mistakes and poor play and you know I know Boudreaux would talk about hey we talk to the guys all the time you know where we're asking them why are they doing this how are they doing that but there's a difference between Ask, telling someone or saying to somebody, hey, why do you keep making this mistake? And then showing them, hey, you keep making this mistake. Here's what sh- you should be doing instead. Quinn Hughes uh, said a lot of things very similar to that, too. And, and again, uh, he's like, I love Bruce, but uh, he, w- he was very appreciative about how the, there's now, if they knew what they were doing, they knew their role. Uh, and he, like Ethan Bear's comments about when he, he couldn't believe the, the situation when he coming from such a structured team like Carolina to, to Vancouver uh, as, as well. And I mean, you're now also, it's not just talk it, but you've got Foot and Gonchar, two incredible defensemen from their time working with the defensive core. That That's huge. And that is that was something that I noticed. And, you know, you gave uh, Hirose uh, the third star of the month. I mean, the fact that a guy like that can come in and be effective in a situation like that, that, that does go to a lot of credit that does have to go to coaching and structure and the way that the defense is being handled. I mean, the other thing, of course, OEL back there playing with uh, with a broken foot. I mean, you could tell that he was not himself last year. Now, all the all the way everything's sounding, it, it doesn't sound like my 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 buyout idea is going to happen this year. But I mean, 
What if OEL gets close to the form that he had last year, which again, he's still overpaid. Uh, he would, even if he gets to the, the, the form that he had in the 21-22 season, still overpaid, still a brutal cap hit. But if he gets back to that and makes himself a serviceable like second-pairing defenseman or a very serviceable third-pairing defenseman, yeah, it's expensive as fuck, but... You know, that's that's something, right? Like, if, if this defensive core can work with a healthy OEL, it, doesn't that give some sort of optimism if you take the contract out of the equation and think about OEL the player and what he's done in the past, and if he's coming in healthy with a structured defensive system, doesn't that give at least some sort... Again, I'm a half-full, glass-half-full Canucks fan, but to me, like, there is reason to think that... I, I really don't think that the Canucks are going to buy him out now. I think they're going to give it another year and see what he can do if he comes into camp healthy and ready to play and with this new coaching system and structure. I think there there could be something there. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the Canucks are stuck with OEL. Alvin pretty much said he's not going to buy him out. Uh, I know the revelation of him apparently breaking a couple of bones in his foot at the world's last year and then just playing through it. But this is kind of also a bigger topic. It's, it's like, Hey, we've seen a couple of players this year have pretty significant injuries. And I think the medical staff needs to do a better job of shutting these guys down. You know what I mean? And it's like, Hey, you know what? Obviously we want to make the playoffs this year. You're injured. You're probably more of a detriment to the team playing than you are uh, not playing. Let's shut you down. Let's get you surgery. If you need to get surgery, let's get you rehabbing. If you need rehabbing and maybe you can come back in four months for a late playoff push. If not, maybe next year you'll be fully ready and hundred percent healthy heading into training camp. And again, I know the players have a lot to say with that too. And most players, I, I mean, Mikheyev was the perfect example of a guy who tore his ACL and he wanted to play through it. But again, there needs to be some kind of foot being put down from this organization and from their medical staff saying, hey, you know what? No, get surgery if you require surgery or take the next two months off, rehab the injury and make sure you're ready to go when we really do need you. I'm hoping like you, Pete, you know, that OEL can play at least even part to what he played his first year as a Canuck because I think even the staunchest critics of OEL thought he played far above what they were expecting him to play. I know he makes too much money. Maybe a pairing of him and Hironic next year. Hironic might be that perfect uh, defensive partner for him where OEL doesn't have to do too much. He's not having to pinch, and he can be a little bit more of a stay-at-home defenseman. Uh, potentially, there is something there between those two. Again, we didn't even get to see them play with one another, but I'm sure that'll be trotted out there at some point next year throughout the course of the season. But yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, we're just kind of stuck with him. We are. And, you know, you mentioned injuries and significant injuries. I mean, it was, it, we had some significant injuries. I mean, Demko Pearson, Mikheyev, uh, OEL, like it was, it was a bad year for injuries. Again, this seems to be a recurring theme. So I get what you're saying. I mean, I'm, I'm no doctor, um, but I, I, I do think that the Canucks need to be a, a little more vigilant about this uh, going forward because the, it doesn't look good when you, you the Demko thing dragged on for way too long. The Pearson thing dragged on and still dragging on for way too Travis long. Travis Dermott, uh, Dermott yeah, you know, he missed the beginning guy. of the year. Yeah. He played, what, five or six games, and then he was out for the rest of the year. 
Yeah. Do you think the Canucks are going to qualify him? Do you think they'll bring him back? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, he's, I don't think so either. since they acquired him, he's played maybe, what, 14, 15 games? They just, I don't know. He he seems like he's damaged goods, unfortunately, and it maybe it's better for him to have a clean slate and start somewhere else. I also think the additions of guys like Hirose and I know Jack Rathbone, the organization and some of the fans were a little bit down on him, but Rathbone's had a pretty solid end to the year for Abbotsford Canucks, and he's had a good showing in the uh, first round playoff series uh, for the Abbotsford Canucks. So I would assume he's kind of jumped up a little bit on the depth chart there. So yeah, I, I think they cut ties with him personally. Yeah, I think so too. He's got uh, 28 games with the Canucks, two goals, one assist over those 28 games. If my memory and math serve me right, I think his qualifying offer is 1.65 million. So yeah, I, I mean, that's just, that's just too rich for, for my blood as well. Um, and, and you're right with the NCAA guys. I mean, McWard, another guy that they brought in yeah. as well. Uh, Will Lannan, uh, he's coming back too. Will Lannan, so like, yeah. Uh, Breeze was, didn't look out of place uh, as well. Like, um, I just think that I, I, there's too many Even guys. a guy, I mean, even a guy, he plays the right side, as does McCord, but still Jet Wu has actually looked like mm-hmm. he's kind of taken a bit of a step in his development and, He's a guy that has been getting a lot of praise from some of the more dialed-in Abbotsford Canuck uh, media reporters. I know Chris Faber has really been singing his praise as of late, as has Jeff Patterson, and that's nice to see. So, you know, maybe he's another guy that is kind of taking the next step in his development and could be a guy that supplants uh, Travis Dermott. I mean, I think it's all but said and done that Dermott's done as a Canuck. Yeah, I I think so too. I I, I would maybe you can trade his rights for a a, a long shot prospect or something, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's he's coming back. Um, a couple of things I took away from uh, some of those media scrums, uh, besides the not and again, it's not finger pointing, but the appreciation, I guess, of of the Canucks having a more structured system right now. This is, it was something that was reiterated by players over and over. Um, the first group of players that came out there, Miller and Petey kind of, uh, addressing a lot of that stuff. Uh, Miller again, really taking charge and, and addressing and, and taking a lot of questions and being very honest and very candid, uh, which again, I'm, I'm a JT Miller fan. And I think, uh, what, we saw from the last half of the year with JT Miller is much more the JT Miller that we're going to get for at least the next couple of years. But Miller and Petey basically addressing this whole beef thing. I, I mean, I'm pretty good at reading people. There doesn't appear to be any beef with those guys in my mind. They're just two different players who've grown together, play well together, but they know they're very different people, but they still can be teammates. Yeah, I mean, I think all of us have friends or colleagues and coworkers that we work with that are very polar opposite to our personality, you know, a lot more outgoing or out boisterous, loud. And JT Miller definitely seems like he's that kind of person where PD seems to be more introverted. I mean, talk it even talked about trying to get PD to kind of speak up more and take a more vocal leadership role in that dressing room. And PD was starting according to talk it and people behind the scenes, he was starting to kind of do that. And I think it's just when you have such a strong boisterous personality like JT Miller, and you have almost the polar opposite personality in PD, I think that's where people are kind of making up this story about there being a beef or an issue between the two players. I don't buy it for a second. 
No, I, I don't either. And we've, I do think fans in this market are getting a little bit wiser to some of these stories that come out where they're coming from. And, uh, and I do think there's more of a pushback from a lot of fans in this market for some of the things that we're getting told when there's absolutely no credence to a lot of it. And I think we really saw that on display. I think a lot of the Canucks players, I think the Canucks players in general were very honest. Uh, I love Philip Hironik, just like, what a salty bastard a lot of the time. He's just like had nothing to say. And I loved it. He's like, I've only played four games. Like, I just given one word answers. Like, I think we're going to like... Philip Peronic here. I think he could be the JT Miller of the blue line, kind of a, a jack of all trades. Brock Besser, another interesting one for, for me. And I know uh, we've both uh, talked about Besser a lot over the years. Um, I Is he still your favorite Canuck? I'm not sure. I know he has been uh, over, over a long period of time. But Besser is really interesting. Both Besser and Garland are going to be really interesting in this offseason because Canucks fans have traded those two guys about 240,000 times this season. As the season went on, both played pretty good hockey. Now, the Canucks need to carve out some cap space. They need to make, they have some RFAs they got to sign. They need to address uh, some other needs on their team, including 3C and probably another blue liner. But like these guys, it's, it's really interesting just how the season has gone with them. Besser had a real resurgence towards the end of it, you know, and his story is, is, is quite a long one. You know, he, he, his agent asked for, to shop him and see if they could find a, a trade partner. Nothing ever materialized. And now he says it's a blessing in disguise that he wasn't traded and he wants to stay in Vancouver and he likes it here. The question is, though, is this the is he still a long term fit with Vancouver? I, I'm still not sure if he is. Well, I think one of the big issues that's going to be the Canucks are going to need to address heading into the offseason is currently heading into next year, they're over the cap. When they acquired Philip Peronic, they have now put themselves over, they have more money committed to next year than the actual cap is. So they have to shed salary by hell or high water. Um, I agree that I thought Brock down the stretch played a lot better. He seemed to be enjoying the game. And there was a really great article written by uh, Ian McIntyre where he interviewed Brock and they just talked about, obviously, dealing with grief and trauma. He lost his father, Duke, last offseason. And Besser, you know, pretty much said he lost the love of the game. Like he lost playing, he lost the love of playing hockey. It, he, it really felt like a job to him, and he didn't have that joy, and he bottled that up inside. He didn't share that with his close friends on the team, Petey and Hughes. He just kind of kept it to himself. Apparently, he didn't even tell his mom that you know he's kind of lost the passion for playing. And I think you started to see that passion again, you know, where he was smiling. And, you know, there was, uh, I think it was the game against the LA Kings, and maybe it was Ayafalo did a bit of a cheap shot to Besser's back, and Besser jumped up and got right in his face and was giving him a bit of a, a face wash with his glove, which you never really see from Besser. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, him and Hughes are probably my two favorite Canucks. I, mean, it just, I think Besser's just such a good dude, and he seems to have just had so much shitty things happen to him. Uh, it's hard not to cheer for the guy. Um, whether or not he's a long-term fit, I don't know. He makes a lot of money, and this team really needs to shed salary. I would prefer if they could move on from Connor Garland. Um, but Besser might have more value 
on the open market in the offseason than a Connor Garland does. Whether or not the Canucks are going to get a massive haul for him, probably not. You're just going to free up that cap space. But yeah, man, it's a really great article for me and McIntyre. If you haven't read it, uh, I definitely highly recommend it. I thought he was really honest and candid, which is great. And even in the uh, end of season press conference, he was very honest about it. And he he realizes he needs to be better. Uh, even, I, I think it was uh, Patrick Alvin said, Besser needs to change how he trains in the offseason. And I think that's one of the big things. And that was a kind of a one of those points that and, you know, when he was asked whether or not he trade JT Miller and he definitely didn't back down from saying, I listen to anybody who they call on. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think teams will probably call him Besser. And I say it's 50-50 he'll be back next year. What about you, Pete? It's a tough one, right? Uh, he's 26. He's got two more years after this at $6.65 million, and he's a UFA after that. So he's going to be a 28-year-old UFA. Um, you know, looking at the numbers and where the Canucks have money tied up. I mean, another guy to maybe look at, Anthony Bavillier could be a guy that they move. He's uh, another $4.1 million cap hit. Uh, Garland, like those guys like something's got to give right like they like you said they've got some good winger not well they got some wingers that they can use on cheap contracts uh, next year as well guys like Aiden McDonough uh, Neil Zaman uh, Vasily Podkolzin Dakota Joshua uh, you know Sheldon Dries they're all on pretty good cheap deals so you have a lot of flexibility with those kind of bottom six or bottom three parts uh Nils Hoglander Hoglander, another guy. Yeah, I mean, there there's quite quite a few. Uh, but then you start looking at guys who are RFAs, and you know, Niels Hoglander, right there. He's an RFA next year. The Canucks got to sign him. You mentioned Jet Wu earlier. The Canucks got to sign him. What do you do with a guy like Kravtsov? Uh, are you gonna you're gonna sign him? Ethan Bear, uh, another guy. Like you need some money to to get even just those guys signed that you want to keep. Also, when we were talking about injuries, we didn't even talk about Tucker Poolman as another guy yeah. that the Canucks have uh, have kind of buried down there. Um, there's a lot of things. There's, of course, there's LTIR, which will give you some flexibility, which, you know, maybe Pearson starts there. Poolman, who knows, probably. But what if they're all active and ready to, to play as well? And, of course, LTIR... And there's other problems that come with that, with bonus carryovers and, and whatnot, too. It's it's not ideal for teams to be operating in LTIR. Um, I, I don't know. Like, uh, it, it's, it was nice to see Besser playing the way he is, but he's still a $6.65 million winger who is still kind of underperforming statistically uh, over the course of a full season. And you know, it's it's fine to say, hey, let's give him another 82-game season. But when you are in a situation where, where Kuzmenko and Miller are getting big bumps, you're going to have to worry about Petey the year after that as well. Um, you know, it just kind of, to me, uh, Besser and Garland and maybe Bavillier are still the the guys that I I look at moving right now. Um, one of those, maybe if you keep Besser, I think you got to move Garland and Bavillier. Yeah, I mean, Bolivier is definitely a guy that I think could be on the move as well. Uh, I believe he's a free agent at the end of next season. So there was already speculation that maybe he's a guy they could flip at next year's deadline. Um, But again, if this team's in the middle of a playoff race and, you know, the chances of them selling off assets are slim and none. um, 
but yeah, something's got to give. And, you know, with Patrick Alvin pretty much shooting down the buyout option for guys like OEL, they need to shed salary elsewhere. The only other thought is, you know, maybe they revisit the JT Miller trade talks. Uh, There's a lot of rumors post-trade deadline uh, between the Canucks and the Penguins. I know the Penguins blew up their whole management staff, Hextel, Burke, both gone. Um, but Alvin was asked point blank about, you know, hey, there was a lot of rumors about you looking to trade JT Miller. You know, was that something you would still consider come this offseason? And he didn't shy away from saying, hey, absolutely. If someone calls and have the right deal, I would absolutely trade anybody pretty much on this team, not named Petey or Hughes. Um, so I think that added more speculation to the fact that maybe Miller is traded this offseason, which would theoretically free up, well, not theoretically, depending on, I guess, what they got back, would free up some significant money cap-wise. But yeah, man, they, they're in a bit of a bind right now. And the worst part about it is teams know that. Teams know that they are forced to kind of cut salary. So they're probably not going to get full market value. Tyler Myers, another guy that uh, he's got a modified no trade, but that's another guy that I'm sure they would uh, look into moving and, and seeing how they could make that work. Um, switching gears here, Doug, just uh, just uh, quickly, we got some more Canucks stuff to cover, but uh, I just watch in uh, channel surfing a little bit with some of the hockey games here. What are your thoughts on the NHL playoffs so far? It's, you know what? Well, obviously, refing is probably the biggest storyline in the majority of the series out there. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously a couple of really big, huge comebacks for the Leafs. Uh, the Oilers, I think just scored a goal against LA. Um, the Devils Rangers game or series is uh, oh. kind of a back and forth affair. They just, they just scored another as well. Uh, the Rangers did or no Oilers. No, the o- Oilers. Oilers. Yeah. That's the one I think yeah. I just saw on my TV. Yeah. Um, Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's been very entertaining. I think, honestly, two of the most entertaining series have actually been uh, the Dallas-Minnesota series and the Kraken-Avalanche series. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I think refereeing, like you said, like, this was bound to happen with the NHL. The way they referee games, uh, this is... And the and the way now that yeah I mean social media is everywhere fan interaction is everywhere betting is everywhere, the NHL really needs to up their officiating game and just be more consistent overall. Uh, the, the the calls there's been a lot of weird calls, a lot of weird goal calls, uh, and you don't want the officiating to be a talking point uh, in, in the series. So I'm with you in that. I also agree. Dallas Minnesota has been a, a great series. Uh, I'm really hoping the Lightning can pull the the comeback of all comebacks. I've been disappointed with Rangers Devils a bit. Uh, I thought that could be a little bit more the the David Putty series there. You know, I just I wanted to see a little bit more out of that. Um, Florida Boston. I mean Boston. They haven't quite been healthy yet, but that that series hasn't been that exciting. Uh, Winnipeg's all banged up now. Um, I basically, with the first round, I just picked the teams that I wanted to win to win the the series. Uh, I didn't put much thought into it. Um, Islanders, uh, Canes. I mean, Bo Horvat's been getting a, a lot of attention for, well, I guess a lot of the wrong reasons overall. Yeah, I mean, I, I think his playoff performance so far for the New York Islanders has been very underwhelming. Um, there's been a lot of New York Islander fans who have, uh, you know, been very 
vocal with their displeasure of the way Horvat's been playing. I mean, Barzell as well. I know Barzell missed some significant time, but he's been under the microscope in New York. And it's funny because it seems like as soon as Horvat made those comments about how amazing it was to play in New York, um, he also got to find how sometimes it's not amazing to play under that microscope in New York. The other thing about these playoffs that actually has really stuck out to me is the amount of injuries uh, to some pretty significant players uh, almost on every team uh, and suspensions as well. The fact that the NHL has not been afraid to suspend some pretty big-name players. Kale McCarr has just got a one-game suspension Mm -hmm. for his late hit on Jared McCann, who's now injured. Um, There's... um, Tuomo Teravainen for the Carolina Panthers. He's injured. He's going to miss the rest of that series. Uh, there's just a, there's a lot of injuries. Mark Shifley left the game last night uh, against the Vegas. Josh Morrissey. Josh Morrissey as well. He's gone. Uh, Bergeron. Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, I mean, he's going to play this next game. Um, I think Boston's yeah. kind of got that series in the bag, but there's just there's just been a lot of injuries across the board, and it's uh, that is another kind of big takeaway. I mean, Victor Hedman for Tampa Bay missed the first couple of games of that series. Uh, Chernak's out. Kevin Fiala. Fiala, Chernak's yeah, out. Kevin Fiala missed a few. So yeah. it's... It, yeah, you're right about yeah, that. Yeah, and it, they're big-name players. You know, They're not like you know your bottom six or your fourth-line grinders. These are very impactful players to these teams that have been missing games due to injury. Um, and I think this playoff, more than any other playoff, I think it's the team that's going to be the healthiest at the end of the grind. They're going to walk away champions. And you can, you can make that argument every year. But, I, I mean, last year I think everyone knew Colorado was that juggernaut. And, you know, as long as they got to the end, they were probably going to do it. In the years prior with Tampa, I would say the same thing. This year, I really think whatever team is the healthiest by the end is going to win. I mean, you know, whether it's Edmonton that can actually get to the final or even, God forbid, Toronto. Um, I, I just think it's whatever team is the healthiest is going to win. Boston, they've got already a few injury issues with Krejci and Bergeron. So, yeah, man, it, it's it, it, it's definitely been entertaining. Uh, Kings just scored, so that's good news. Uh, they're they're crawling back into it. We're guaranteed five of the series going at least six games. Uh, also, Horvat did get his first assist of the playoffs tonight, uh, setting up the winning goal by Matt Barzell, who got only his second. But yeah, that's five games in. It took uh, it took him five games to get that helper. I mean, it's funny because Bo was such a beast that bubble year in the in the playoffs. So uh, it's kind of interesting that he's been under such a microscope and been getting a, a lot of kind of negative attention in uh, but from the New York fan base I've seen a lot of that out there too I think uh, there's just a lot of concern about his new contract kicking in as well yeah it's been um, interesting we, like I said no one's eliminated yet either like, we got all the teams kicking around there's going to be no sweeps so every series is going to be between five and seven games so interesting first round I mean it's such a interesting series of matchups as well like i find there's a couple of really ones that you kind of expect like toronto tampa uh jersey rangers that's a kind of a fun one to have back um edmonton la you kind of kind of saw that one coming a little bit down the line but like you know vegas winnipeg that's an interesting rivalry the minnesota past and present uh, with the wild stars uh seattle in the postseason for the first time um it's it's an interesting playoffs i just really ah crap edmonton just scored i just blink and uh and the, the goals are flying in this one. Um, I just really hope Tampa can just pull off something amazing right now. And because, uh, again, anybody but Toronto. I picked, obviously, I picked Tampa in that series. Yeah. Uh, again, I mean, the national media here in Canada is just going to go 
Uh, it's just going to be amped up to 11 if Toronto gets past Tampa. It, it, it's going to be borderline unbearable. Yeah. Uh, I. Oh, yeah. The other thing, too, with these playoffs is I think there's been a lot of – well, I don't think – there has been a lot of uh, overtime games as well, which has kind of added to that drama of these series. And, you know, you're you're seeing Seattle their first time in the playoffs, you know, starting this rivalry, especially with that McCarr hit on McCann last night. It's just like – now the fans have like a rivalry brewing with uh, Colorado, which is great, you know. And obviously, it sucks that they lost their star forward who had forty goals for them this year. But well, you know that welcome to the playoffs. Like it's obviously it, it sucks, but it's I, it, this is what you want. This is what this is what how rivalries are built is the playoffs. Yeah, and geographically, Denver is one of the closest American cities to Seattle in the NHL. So that's exactly, it's kind of akin to a Vancouver-Calgary rivalry uh, uh, as well in terms of they're the closest Canadian cities. So uh, Denver is one of the closest to Seattle. So uh, I I agree with you on that one. Um, Also, Canucks playoffs, Abbotsford Canucks playoffs. that's something positive to talk about is what the Canucks did sweeping Bakersfield in in two games uh, and looking really good outscoring the opposition seven to two over those two games. Yeah, I mean, Nils Hoglander had a very good series. I believe he had three or four points in that series in the two games. Uh, he has played very well. I actually listened to both Abbotsford games uh, on 650, the radio, which reminds me of back in the day at my great-grandfather's place when not every Canuck game was on TV, kids, and you had to often listen to the radio to hear the Canucks play. And uh, there's something special about hearing a radio call, and uh, I don't know who was calling the game for the Abbotsford Canucks, but it was a solo call, didn't have any color commentary, and the kid who was doing it did an amazing job. I give the kid full credit, uh, calling a game all by themselves. Uh, but yeah, the other thing that was a little bit strange, I don't know if you caught this, Pete, but uh, Jeremy Culleton, he started Spencer Martin game one. They won. And then game two, he went to Arthur Seelofs, which is kind of strange in my opinion. I know we saw this with Dean Evison in the Minnesota-Dallas series where I think, uh, I, I don't know who the other goalie is, but uh, the goalie won game one or whatever game two it was. And then the very next game, Dean Evison went to Marc-Andre Fleury. So I thought that was a little bit strange. Uh, I did see, uh, I think it was Chris Faber said that that's actually kind of been how the Abbotsford Canucks had been operating the last kind of month or so is it was back-to-back games. It would be one game Martin, one game Seelofs, one game Martin, one game Seelofs. But uh, I found that a little bit shocking. Thankfully, it didn't end up costing them in the end, and they came away with the victory. And I believe they're now playing the number one team in their conference, uh, which is the Calgary's AHL affiliate. Uh, I I don't know their name off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to watching some more Abbotsford playoffs. And uh, Martin got a shutout as well. Uh, yeah, that's too. the other it thing. Just a win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he, a win and a shutout. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, Canucks blue line uh, looking pretty good over there as well. I thought uh, Rathbone looked really good. Um, I listened to bits of the games as well and watched all the highlights that I could. Well, Lannon I thought looked good. I thought Noah Yulson played strong. Brady Keeper played strong. Jet Wu continues his solid play. Uh, there's an interesting group of kind of those mid-range prospects that the Canucks have down there all of a sudden. And, and again, like guys like Philip Gustafson uh, hasn't played uh, either, and that's another guy to kind of watch in the Canucks system on the blue line. 
lines. So some interesting names down there. Great to see uh, the Canucks doing well out in Abbotsford, selling the place out. Uh, apparently it was a great vibe in the building uh, as well. I think that's that's pretty cool. But um, yeah, good luck against Calgary in the next round. Yeah, uh, Klimovich has also played well. Uh, he had some limited ice time game one, but he drew a couple of penalties. And he's another guy who, you know, 17 goals as a 20-year-old in the AHL. Uh, I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, him and Ratu, no points through there, but their line was noticeable by all counts. Max Sasson, another guy yeah. who uh, was quite noticeable out there. Um, he he's had he had a really good series there. Um, Archdeep Baines is another guy. So uh, hey, hey, you know, again, this is this is great that they're they, these Canucks are able to get this sort of draw. The the Fraser Valley is right behind them. Um, Canucks fans are all right behind them. It's exciting to see, and especially with as the Canucks continue to add in more and more of these college free agents as they did, and just a lot more different faces into the mix. Um, it, it's just it, it does make things uh, a, a lot more fun as a Canucks fan. Um, and since we last recorded, the Canucks did actually make uh, a few signings. With uh, Again, we mentioned uh, Christian Willannon. He's re-signed on a very reasonable deal as well. I, I quite like the deal that Willannon got. Um, it's, it's really not much more than what he was getting before. Uh, he is now... Where is it? There it is. Just uh, again, like a similar bump to what uh, Di Giuseppe got from 750 to 775 for two more years, like exactly the same. Very good deal, I think, with him coming back. And the Canucks inked EP2, who I like to call Repeaty, uh, the other Elias Pettersson, and McWard also, uh, who got a, a cup of coffee with the Canucks to end the season, Cole McWard, who I keep calling Cam McWard, but it is Cole McWard. Um, and he's also signed through next season. So a couple new players coming in. Uh, only departure worth mentioning from the Canucks uh, as of late. Jason King won't be back with the the club, which I'm not terribly surprised with as the Canucks continue to turn over all their coaching and man management positions to the new regime. Uh, there's also some speculation about a potential replacement for Jason King, and that's uh, Tony Granato. Apparently, uh, obviously, there's ties with his sister working in the front office, but uh, I believe he was coaching Wisconsin or one of the – definitely in the NCAA, and he was let go. And so there's some speculation that maybe Granato comes in and also helps behind the bench, which, again, I think would be great. Another seasoned – NHL def or player, not defenseman, but player. And I think just having a guy like him behind the bench could be really, really great as well. Um, and then the other thing that I think is kind of worth mentioning, Pete, uh, really quickly, is uh, Jonathan LeCaramacchi has yes. actually come back, and he's playing really well for uh, Jurgarden. And I believe they're in the SEHL final against Moto. Um, and LeCaramacchi, I believe he had like something crazy like three or four assists in one game or had, something like he that. He had a four he had a four assist game. I think it was a seven six loss, but he had four four assists in that game. Yeah. And that's a good sign because I mean halfway through the season Lakaramaki was not looking great. No. I don't know, you know, if there were some injuries or whatnot, but he seems to have come back from that injury he did have. And he's really showing why he was drafted where he was drafted. So I think that's a bit of a relief for Canucks fans. Uh, I still think there's a long way to go in his development. But yeah, man, uh, another light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I wanted to get LeCaramacchi in there as well. I'd made a note, uh, but he's really kind of picked it up a bit, thankfully, because... Uh, 
yeah, there was a lot of it was just it was just kind of to pile on with everything else is here. But all of a sudden, you've got Lakari Mackey looking like he is actually uh, a legitimate prospect. Uh, still a long way to go, like you said, but at least now we're not talking about him as a dud mere months after after being drafted. Um, yeah, Tony Granado, that's an interesting one. Uh, I always remember Tony Granado as being uh, the the second runner up to the Calder Trophy in the Trevor Linden's rookie year because I remember Linden went up against two New York Rangers that year, Brian Leach and Tony Granado, and Leach of course won it, and Linden was second, and uh, Tony Granado was third, and then Granado and Sundstrom were both part of, I believe they were both traded to L.A. for Bernie Nichols, if I remember, it was something like that. Uh, but that's uh, that's just kind of my Tony Granado memories. But again, I like I like I would like that if they brought him in, just because again you're you're bringing in players who have had NHL success from that same era uh, as well, like Talkit, Foot, Gonchar. Bring in Granado. Hey, that's cool. I I like the idea. I like what they're doing. I like with having these players. I don't know much about what what Tony Granado's been doing, but he's from that same ilk and era of players. So uh, I'm I'm down with that. Didn't I? I know Madonna went first, but uh, I he didn't yeah. win the Calder that year. No, no, Madonna was drafted uh, first uh, ahead of Linden, um, but yeah, I don't that he wasn't uh, he wasn't. I can't remember exactly how it all worked out, but I know Linden was up against um, Leach. Leach and and Granada. Yeah, I mean, Brian Leach, I mean, I, as a Canuck fan, obviously we're not the biggest Brian Leach fans concerning what he did to us in the 93-94 playoffs, but uh, great, great player. I believe he's still the highest scoring American-born defenseman of all time, uh, Brian Leach, if I yep. am correct. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously Hall of Famer, first ballot, and uh, I don't know what his rookie year was like, but it was definitely the 80s. So I'm sure he was clear a point of game player back then. Yeah, I just uh, pulled it up here. Um, I don't see Mike Medano on there. So maybe Medano was rookie year was either before or after, but he didn't get any votes that year for the, for the Calder Trophy. So uh have to look that up. Uh, it was Leach, Linden, Granado, Peter Sidorkowicz, and Craig Janney were the top five. Craig Janney. Nice. Wasn't yeah. he supposed to be a Canuck at one time? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was uh, <laughs> He was uh, part of the compensation for Peter Nedved, I think, when Peter Nedved went to St. Louis. And then Janney never played, and then the Canucks traded Janney for a bunch of blues like they they did around that time i think i think dan quinn was part of that deal um jeff brown wasn't that how they acquired jeff brown was that one like there was a lot of trades with blues with the blues that time yeah uh, the blues were that... to the canucks what the florida panthers have been to the canucks in the early yes. 2000s as far as like trade partner a hundred percent. The the Panthers took over what the Blues were doing because there's a a big trade with with Sergio Mameso as well yeah. involved. Garth Butcher, one of the, one of the Courtnells, and there is there is a lot of of Canucks Blues ones. But Doug, I think uh, I think now that we're kind of going down memory lane, I think we should take this into the free pour. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I will fully admit, I'm not the biggest European football fan. I do enjoy it. I like watching the World Cup. Obviously, that World Cup final between Argentina and France was unbelievable. Mbappe, Messi, 
But something happened this past weekend, which I thought was awesome. I watched all the reaction. I was following along on Twitter to see if they were going to do it. And that is Wrexham won their league and they are officially being promoted. Uh, that's the team that is owned by local boy Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney of Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame. Um, just an incredible story. Uh, the fact that these two dude, two Hollywood stars bought a team in the height of the pandemic in Northern Wales for a couple million dollars and they've invested a lot of money, a lot of marketing. They created an incredible FX show called Welcome to Wrexham. We've talked about it on this podcast. I've talked about it. Pete, I know you've talked about it. But, you know, the fact that they've been promoted and now they're back in the actual English league, it's just such a cool story. It's such an underdog story. And also what I think this has done, because I know there's a lot of people that are criticized, no, well, they've spent all this money on players that are clearly a league or two better than the league they've been playing in. But it's also made a lot more people care about the lower league soccer in England. And I think everyone's just so fascinated and in love with the English premiership. But the fact that some of these lower leagues are now getting media attention and you know attention globally, I think it speaks volumes to what those two are doing. And yeah, man, loved it. If you haven't watched some of the reactions, I mean, legitimately, Rob and Ryan cry as soon as like they're officially win the game and they know they're going to be promoted. So happy for them. Can't wait for season two of Welcome to Wrexham to come out. There's also some chatter of the 2026 UEFA final being held in the States, which would be quite interesting as well. And a lot of that carryover and excitement of football is definitely being a part of uh, what Wrexham has done, which is which is crazy to kind of think about. Um, I just want to, I mean, it's it's inevitable I'm going to tell you something about my, my trip, right? I mean, it's the free pour, and I like to ramble on about travel stories because I love travel. Um, I'm going to take it to my first day in Bristol, uh, because Bristol is a city I've wanted to go to for quite a while for a number of reasons, and I can see why I... I I liked Bristol as much as I did. I mean, uh, Bristol first came to light for me in uh, the mid-late 90s with music. I mean, trip-hop was born there. There's a lot of great bands that came out of there, and there's a direct tie between the music scene there and the street art scene there. Bristol is also known as kind of being the birthplace of modern street art as we know it. And of course, there's ties between Massive Attack and 3D being an early graffiti artist who eventually switched to music because he was getting arrested. Uh, And there's a lot of the ties that continue on to this day. Um, I got to do a street art tour when I was there uh, with a legendary guy named John Nation. Uh, John is basically responsible for the Barton Hill project, which was how a lot of graffiti artists in Bristol got started, including Banksy. And uh, he was just, he was a wealth of information, got a ton of information about the Bristol scene, uh, a a lot of information about the Bristol artists and musicians. Um, Really great tour, even in the soaking, pouring rain. uh, We we got to see some stuff and get to get some different perspectives of pieces, including Banksy pieces that I wouldn't have have seen otherwise. Uh, But really cool stuff. If you're interested in street art, I, I can't recommend the city enough. It's also just a cool city, just tons of breweries. Uh, there's tons going on there. So music, beer, street art. Hey, Bristol, you're all right in my books.
Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 142. That's season four, episode 23 of the Canucks Speakeasy is just uh, about in the books. I just realized, Doug, our free pours both had very British ties uh, in them as well with uh, Wrexham, Wales, and Bristol being not too far from Wrexham as well. So uh, that that's kind of funny. And uh, keeping on the other sports theme as well there. Lots of stuff going on right now. We got the NBA playoffs uh, in full gear as well. I know we talked about the NHL ones, but the NBA ones are going. And folks, don't forget to mark the NFL draft in your calendar. Yeah, I mean, the NBA playoffs have been very entertaining so far. A couple of massive games. I know Jimmy Butler had, what, 54 points the other night. Um, It was a great back-and-forth affair between the Lakers and the Grizzlies. LeBron James and John Morant were both... You know, incredible last second slam dunks to put their teams just slightly ahead. Uh, one of the other teams I'm kind of cheering for is uh, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, I kind of want to see them do well. I really like Jokic, and obviously they have uh, the Canadian kid. Uh, man, his name escapes me off the top of my head, but I know he's uh, uh, he's been injured the last couple of years. Um, what's his is name? Jamal there? Murray. Jamal Murray, thank you very much, Pete. See, you mispronounce the names, I forget the names. It's kind of like, that's why that's why we're such that's a great tandem. That's it, right? Like, together we each bring 50% and we make this thing work. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, the Denver Nuggets are one of those teams that I'm, like, quietly, not quietly, but, you know, sort of wanting to see do well. Um, yeah, it, I don't follow basketball all throughout the entire season, but it, it's been a very entertaining basketball playoff so far. Yeah, playoff hoops hit different. Uh, it's just like it's like anything else, right? You, you weed out the teams. In NBA, in the NBA, I find there is generally a, a quite a large disparity between teams that are good and teams that aren't. I will say this here: there was a little bit more of that kind of middle group of teams, which uh, here in Canada the Raptors were a part of than there has been in previous years. Uh, I'm still surprised going back to the Lakers. I'm still surprised they're up on the Grizz three to one. Uh, that's that's kind of a, a bit of a surprise to me. Um, not surprised the Sixers swept the Nets. The Nets to me just, uh, I don't know, man, just wasn't really having it. Um, and I'm with you with the Nuggets. It would be cool to see them uh, come through as well. Um, the other one I'm watching right now is what's up with the Bucks in the East, man? Like I did not see the Heat taking three of the first four. Yeah, I mean, again, going back to kind of a similar theme with the playoffs, there's just been a lot of really big-name players getting injured. Giannis missed a couple of games. I know in the Clippers-Suns series, um, Kawhi Leonard, who was at the first couple of games, was just unbelievable, but now he's injured and he's not playing in the next game either. It's already been announced. Um, Yeah, the injuries just seem to be kind of taking over a lot of these series, unfortunately. And in the NBA, when you only have, you know, some teams play a max of seven, eight guys. You miss that one guy. It's it's just such a massive impact to your team. And I think that's what we're seeing right now with the Bucks. Yep. And NFL draft date, do you know that uh, off the top of your head? It's usually a Thursday, isn't it, Doug? Yeah. So the draft starts at 5 p.m. on Thursday. And then obviously it carries over into the weekend. So I think rounds two and three are going to be on the Friday. And then rounds four, five, or six and seven end up being on the saturday uh pete seahawks have two picks in the first round uh i know how many times do you think they trade back oh man i don't think they trade that first one the denver one i mean but i don't know maybe they do maybe they like move back a couple of spots and you know you saw in that uh rogers deal just uh the first round picks get swapped and it's only two spots so i don't know the seahawks love to trade down but it's such a good draft last year that uh, I think if there's guys they really want, they're gonna 
they're going to keep the, those picks, but if there's not, or they feel they can move down, they'll, they'll acquire more picks. But they had such a great draft last year, so uh, I'm, I'm definitely excited for that. What, what do you think with your Pats? I mean, they're another team that I think will probably end up trading back. I mean, there's that... Uh Jackson and Jigba is the wide receiver. A lot of people think and feel like he's the number one wide receiver this year. Um, he's the guy that I kind of hope they draft because they definitely need a game-breaking wide receiver. They just haven't had that in the last couple of years. Uh, it, uh, who knows? But I could see them trading back and picking up a defensive lineman and maybe a, a free safety or something like that, which, again, are all positions that are important. But they just really need that game-breaking wide receiver, in my opinion. And, yeah, that's one of the guys I'm hoping they draft if he's still available at pick 14. But I highly doubt they even make the pick at 14. I think they're trading back. My favorite thing about the NBA draft was when we could see into everybody's houses. I, lo- I love I loved doing that. Uh, you yeah. see all the, the house parties. That's good stuff. Well, we've gone wildly off uh, off of Canucks here to end the show. But, uh, folks, if you're still around and still want to listen to us more, you can follow us online. I'm at Pete underscore gas on Twitter. And also, if you need to get some jams, check out the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. All the tracks go on there. We're going to add another one after this episode. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Ben. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at speak as always thanks for listening hasta luego